0: KMTT Kimitzion Tetzay Torah Today is Wednesday, Chafhei Sivan. The shiurim today and this week are dedicated in memory of Ruth Kelman, Rachel Bat Chaim from Toronto by the Gutenberg and Kelman families. Her site is this Shabbat, the 28th of Sivan. It's very appropriate to dedicate the Shirim of KMTT in her memory. woman who herself Valued learning and gave the love of learning to her children and grandchildren, everyone who knew her. Today's shiur will be the shiur in uh, Masechet Brachot, Halacha v'Agada. My name is Ezra Beck, and I am giving the shiur. The shiur is half an hour. At the end of the shiur, I will continue with the daily Agada Yomit. Today. I want to talk about two ma'amarim found in brachot, which talk about kviut makom making a set place for davening. This is related but not identical to the topic we talked about uh, three weeks ago about davening in a Beta Knesset A Beta knesset is a set place for davening, but this is this is distinct. This is not about davening in a Beta knesset, but about having a place, a set place to daven. The Gemara on Davvavim bet says the following. Amar Rabbi Chalvav, Amar Amar Rav Huna, Kol a makom netfilato elokay Avraham be Ezra. He who establishes a set place, keva, permanent. He who permanent who permanentalizes a place for davening. So the God of Avraham will assist him, will be in his assistance. Uchshemit omrimlo ei anav ei chasid mitamidav shavraham avino. When he dies, when he dies, they say to him, who says? The angels, the world. It said to him, when he dies, ho, oh, this anav, this maddest man, this chassid, from the disciples of Avraham Avinu. Now, there, there are two parts of the statement that are worth Understanding. First of all, there's a normative part. One should establish a permanent place for davening. How do I know? That because great praise is said about the person. The praise is very unusual. It says about him, Elokei Avraham Be'ezro. It uses a particular and unusual appellation for God. The God of Avraham will help him. Will Will be in his assistance. I mean, we, we're familiar. We've had in the course of this shiur statements that are made to highly praise someone who does something correctly. We had twice. Uh, so that's a general phrase that says if you do this, you'll get to where you want to go. You'll get to Olam uh, You can have a phrase saying your tefillah will be heard. Someone who does the, the correct way to daven, that's tefillah nishma. That I understand. A very strange thing here that he, God will help him. And which God? Okay Avraham. Continuation is even stranger. In order to say what a wonderful person he is, when he dies, we're not thinking about it, but when he dies, so they say to him, they, unknown they, they say to him, what a modest person, what a hasid what a pious person, a disciple of Abraham Avinu. Okay. First things first. What, in fact, is the normative part of the statement? m'akom uh, Rashi does not uh, does not uh, comment on this. You should have a permanent place for davening. Rabenu Yona, however, Rabenu explains that this statement does not apply to a Beit Knesset to a Shul. He says. In a shul, you don't have to have a seat. I think sometimes people think that you have to have in the same seat in shul. So the Benyana denies this. He says if you're in a shul, wherever you dabble is okay. There are disagree the There are two opinions about this. But the Benyana says the following. He says this whole statement does not apply to your place in a shul. Why? Because the entire shul is a makom tefillah. By definition, a beit knesset is a place of Davening. And therefore there's no need to sometimes there's no need to sit in a particular place. You can sit in one corner. L'famim Yosheh Bezavidzu, L'famim Bezavidzu You can daven any place you want. What is the statement about? It's someone who's not davening in Shul. It comes out that you're davening at home. She-koveyam makom letefil atok bebeito, yachol lechot bebeit HaKneset. You couldn't go to Shul for some reason. You're davening at home. The statement comes to say that you should have in your house a place where you daven. You don't just get up and daven, but since you know that sometimes you daven in your house, so there's one place in your house, nothing special about that place, it's no different than the other corner, it's totally arbitrary, but you should have a place in your house where, that's the place we daven, makom yadua lekach. There should be a specific place in your house where you where you daven. We see from Ben Yonah that the idea of being kovei makom le is to make the place into a makom tefillah. Because he says, in Beit Knesset, you don't need to do this. Why? Because it's by nature a Makom Tvila. So we see, what is the purpose of Kovei the Tefillah The purpose is to define that place as a Makom Tvila, A place of diving. Not just a place where I dive in, but its definition. The place has like a plaque on it. This is a Makom Tefillah. Now again, that doesn't mean that you can't do other things there. A Beit Knesset is a Makom Tvila. And it's also to use it for the secular purposes. But I don't think a benayara means that we should have a corner in our house, which is a makom tefillah, and you don't sit and read a book there. He means when you daven there, it's not merely a place where you are davening, you are davening in the place which you have established, you have set it apart as being miyached in his language. You've, you've identified it, you've singled it out, liyached, to single out. You've singled it out as a makom tefillah. He quotes in proof of his statement that it, it, we're talking about private homes and not big. That's it, a statement in the Yerushalmi, the Paras, statement statement, as it appears in is slightly different. Kol ha-kove'a makom the tfilato be-beito le-hitpalel ki-ilu hikifa me-chitzot shel barzel. Uqshumet omrim lo e-anav e You see it's the same statement from the end. It says, he who establishes a place for his tfilah in his house, but a different praise. Not okay, Abraham Ezra, but it's as though he had surrounded that place with walls of steel. He built a wall, an impregnable wall, around the place where he's diving. So Be'en Yonah because Hushami has the word be'veto. Not surprisingly, those who disagree with Be'en also mentioned there's a girsa without the word be'veto. You, you really cannot bring a proof to something from one word since words come and go in the different variant readings of the Gemara. But the Bediona had this reading of the Ushalmi, therefore that's his proof that this statement applies to one's house and not specifically to one's shul. Okay, what's the idea? Why is it important to have a place of Dhamma? We spoke three weeks ago and I'm not going to repeat what I said then. Why Beit Knesset is an important place. Beit Knesset, I claim then in the one sentence. Uh-huh. I am repeating it slightly. We said then that the Beit Knesset is a place which is defined as Makom Shekhinah. Because it testifies publicly to the name of God. When you daven, you mention God's name. And wherever God's name is mentioned, that's where He's found. So the Beit Knesset is a place which says God is found. And therefore it's good to daven there. But here you're davening in your home. And as I said, even if you're meyached, you you specify this place, I don't think that turns the place into Makam Shechina, because if it wasn't Makam Shechina, as I said before, you wouldn't be able to sit and read a book there. It would have sanctity. So it's miyuchad litfila, but not sanctified litfilah. So I don't think there's a corner in my house which is a Makam Shechina. When somebody walks into my house and looks at that place, he doesn't say, oh, Makam Shechina. It doesn't testify to God's presence because there's nothing about it which it doesn't have the plaque that I mentioned before, and there is no sign as the Beit Knesset has. When I daven, I should daven in a place that is a certain amount of permanence. In my own mind, it's set aside for tefillah. Why? Why is that? I think we have a different a different halacha here than what we discussed three weeks ago. I think we have here something about the nature of tefillah. It's possible to view tefillah as communication I have a need to speak to God to speak to my creator to speak to my father to speak to he who understands all human beings if it's communication then I need to make sure that God can hear what I have to say but that's simple God can always hear what I have to say that's the reason why you dove in quiet, because you're not dove out loud for God to hear what you have to say. You can communicate with God silently. If it's communication, then there is no need to define a meeting between myself and God. Today we know you can communicate by telephone, you can communicate by email. I'm communicating with you right now by a podcast. But Chazal thought that the nature of tefillah was not only communication, perhaps not even essentially communication. Its content is communication, but its framework is meeting. You're not merely speaking to God, you're meeting with God. And I think that's the nature of the Lachad that's being described here. When one prays, you should be praying in a place that's been set aside to meet God. We both, God and I, will come to that place. I mean, this is, it's, it's related to the idea we spoke about three weeks ago. But, Malcolm but there, Malcolm Shechina was something that transforms the world. We want God to be in the world. It's man's purpose to be the Merkavah Shechina, to be the basis, the carrying... Stone for God's presence in the world. Who are talking about something else entirely? When you come to and don't imagine that you're sending messages to God. See yourself as meeting God. And for that, you have to have a place where you meet God. Why do you have to have a special place for that? Very simple. Because meeting God is not like meeting your friend. God is not of this world, and we are not of God's world. To meet God, you have to set aside, so to speak neutral territory or maybe better, the neutral territory and extra, extra-territorial territory. God descends from His world but He doesn't descend from His world to enter into my world. I have to ascend as He descends. We have to meet in the middle. And therefore I need truth is it's always in this world but I need to set aside in this world a place which I go there God so to speak comes there and there we meet. If you meet with God, you also speak to Him. I I imagine it's possible to meet with God and not speak to Him. mystics meet with God in silence. Pasuk says, The praise of God is silence. There is a place where in the silence recesses of the soul, one can meet with God and not utter a word. But but in, in normal, a normal meeting with God is because you have something to say, and 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 when you meet, you speak to him. But the speaking is not the only element, the only definition of what's going on. The framework of that speech is, is 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 meeting is is di- is dialogue in the true sense of the word. The psychological prerequisite for having a meeting with God is having a special place for it. It's like, uh, so to speak, if you having if you having a date, so you you, you you set aside a place where you're going to meet. This is the corner of my house, which I, I use for other things as well. But I meet God in this place. It's not just I'm walking around. I turn the sash. I suddenly turn and say, Oh, by the way, this is what I have to say. And of course, it's true You can do that if you. It happens to us. If you're at work, it's time for mincha, so you get up. You go to the corner of the room, and you daven. God does hear what you have to say everywhere. If you approach God in Tefillah, God hears it. But but you're missing out on something. You should not, Lechatchila, you should not just be saying, it's time to Daven, I speak, God hears. You should have in advance a time, and here we're talking about a place where I go there to Daven. Because I have to leave my world. Because God is not really in my world. The world that we live in is mundane. It is secular. God made it. But do not imagine that this world is holy by definition. We're living in our world, and in order to meet God, I have to take three steps out of this world, go to the place which I was able to... Uh, God didn't pick this place, I picked it, that's true. But it's the place that I set aside. And He comes there, and I go there, and there I have this communion with God in that place. The phrase used to describe the benefit, the, the specialness of Makom Tfila, two phases. Our Gemara says, Avraham The Yerushalmi said, ke'ilu ke'ilu It is as though he had built around that place walls of iron. What do you need walls of iron when you're davening? So I think the idea now is clear. It's, it's, it's not a good idea to daven in this world. At best, God is so to speak just just passing through. You can't really get him for a, a serious sit down conversation. There, you have to for something to be extra territorial. Then you need to have a border between uh, around the embassy. There is a wall because the wall sets here is the territory of the local government, and here is the territory of the embassy, which belongs to the foreign government. Around the place where I dabben, there should be a wall. Because the wall says here this is your house and here there's the makom the place where you can meet with God on the extraterritorial representative territory that God has in this world. (laughs) Mechitzot shel bazel Walls of iron Nothing can cross that border when the doors are closed. You enter that space so to speak there's no wall there but there's a mental wall. You enter that space and you set aside everything from the outer world. Here, I am living in God's rules. I'm living under God's protection. Meeting with God in this place, and nothing else can can cross that border. Our Gemara has a different expression: Elokei Avraham be'ezro. Obviously, to raise the figure of Avinu. Why do we raise the figure of Avinu? The Gemara itself explains. The Gemara says, "Why Abraham Avinu?" Because Abraham is the one who made up this idea of Dekhtiv, baboker, sham. Avinu uh, Before the story of Sdom the Destruction of Sdom In Parashat Vayayra Abraham Avinu got up early in the morning And went to the place where he had stood there This is the pasuk from which we derived Filat Shacharit Abraham Avinu invented Shacharit Because it says Abraham Baboker he arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood. What does it mean he had stood? To stand means where he had prayed. So when Avraham Avinu wanted to speak to God again, he went to the place where he had prayed previously. How do we know that standing means That Pinchas stood and argued. So Avraham Avinu was the one who had a place to Daven. It wasn't in his house. It was on the hill overlooking Stone. That was the place of had chosen to Daven and that's what Filat Shachavit consists of. Okay, so they have a pasuk, but why Avraham Why is it Elokei Avraham Ezra? I think the idea is, Chazal see Avraham as somebody who transformed the relationship between the world and God. Midrash in the beginning of Lech Lecha says, Achot lanu k'tana, verse in Shira Hashirim, we have a little sister. Achot l'anu k'tana, ze' Avraham avinu. She'icha et ha'kera. Achot means a sister. The Midrash learns it from the Lashon, from the word achot, to mend, to mend cloth. Achot l'anu k'tana, he mended the tear. In other words, before Ramavinu the fabric of the world was torn in two. God was in His heaven, and we were on earth. Ramavinu reconstituted the whole cloth that puts together the heavens and the earth through His existence. He he was, in the sense which we did talk about three weeks ago, he was the the the, the chariot on which the Shekhinah rode. He he was the the basis of having Shekhinah in the world. Avraham Avinu is understood by Chazal to being in his person as changing the relationship of the world to God. Now God has a place to be in the world. So when Avraham Avinu also invented davening, he also understood that you need to give God a place in the world. It's not that he made the world God's place. The whole world is God's place. It's not That, 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 that perhaps is a dream, but it's not true. It's not true in this world yet. But there are places which we set aside for God to come. That was Avraham job, and therefore, when he invented tefillah, he said, "I'm not just going to get up and daven because God's listening. God's my friend; God is His ear is listening to me all the time." That might be true, by the way, but it's not the way one should daven. I'm going to have a place which God agrees and I agree that there we can meet. And obviously, Beit Knesset is that place. That's true. That's what Ben Yona said. A Beit Knesset is a makom tefillah it's God's place in the world. It's a mikdash ma'at, it's God's home, to some extent, as the mikdash was. But you can do this in other places as well, and wherever you daven, you should be in a place which is defined, at least for you, not objectively, but subjectively, you've defined it as a makom tefilah. So Elokei Avraham beEzra, The God of Avraham helps him. Why Why helping him? Why does the Midrash, why does the G'me'er say that the benefit of davening makom kavua, is that God, uh, the God of Abraham, helps you and not hears you. But I think the idea here is that the truth is God hears to feel everywhere. If you're worried about God hearing you, then you don't need a makom Kavua. God will hear you and then he'll decide what to do. He might help you, he might not. That's up to him. But if you meet with God, you have a sort of alliance with God, then... Aside from the question whether God will hear your tefillah, judge what you requested and help you. It could be you didn't even ask for any help. you are ask about other things. But 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 you have an alliance with God. You're, he's, he's, he's met with you. You've met with Him. You're, you're working together. And therefore, Elokei Avraham Be'ezro. God is with you and therefore He helps you. He helps you in, 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 in all ways. The way He helped Avraham Avinu throughout his life it's not connected to the content of tefillah but it's the nature of the human being who is not someone who only addresses God sometimes but is someone who has a working relationship with God he meets with him on a regular basis as opposed to most people who at best can only address God when they need to uh, have some sort of trouble and they run to find him and, and speak to him. The same thing is found in the Gemara one day later on the Zion. There are two Gemaras that talk about this exact phrase being koveya Makomlit Filato. The Gemara of would bet, towards the end of the towards the end of the page, has the following statement about Koveya Makom fit. Same thing, he who has a permanent place for his tefila, no nofilim tachtav. His enemies fall before him. So if you have a permanent place for your davening, your enemies fall before you. This I think is really extraordinary. I mean, we're not dealing in a time where you're dealing with the nation. The pasuk is dealing with the nation. The pasuk is talking about Beit Hamikdash, and God says. Uh, where the Beit HaMikdash was built, that uh, there will be a Beit HaMikdash, and the enemies will fall before you. But Rabbi and Yochai and Rabbi we are talking about private tefillah. Obviously, so, I some of us have enemies. But it's a strange face to say your enemies fall before you. And why do they fall before you? Say, God will help you, as we said in the first statement. But I think it's the same idea. The statement is that someone who has a makom, kavu ala tefillah, so in all his life, God is with him because his whole relationship with God is different. He doesn't only speak to God. He's met with God. They have an alliance. And therefore, just as the enemies of God fall before Him, famous pasuk which we all know by heart, Kuma Hashem m'ipanecha, the presence of God disperses enemies. m'ipanecha, your enemies simply flee from before you. Someone who has a makom kavua letefilah His enemies simply fade away. They fall underneath Him. To fall underneath you, it means that they're inferior and you're superior, but you're not superior to your enemies, but God is superior to your enemies. So if you are walking hand in hand with God, then your enemies simply melt away or fall underneath your feet because, makam kavua latfila. It's less, I have to admit, it doesn't interest me so much as the benefit. Ah, you want your enemies to fall before you to make a makom kavua The idea that's behind it is that by having a makom kavua you aren't only sending messages to God so that He can hear with His infinite superhearing, but you're sitting with God together. You're also speaking to Him, but basically, you're He who walks and talks and sits with God, stands before Him on a permanent kavua on a permanent basis. And one more Gemara to illustrate this. Indeed, this Gemara is about Beit Knesset and not about uh, your private home, but I think that it is closely related. It's the Gemara which comes immediately before the original Mama we spoke about. Right before the Gemara says, Kolom HaKovei HaMakom LeTfilato. Elokei Avraham Be'ezro. We have a different Gemara. Amar Av Yochanan, B'Sha'ash HaKadosh Baruch Hu Be'Veit HaKnesset. V'lo Matzah Ba'asara, miyad Hu K'o'es, Sh'Nemar Madua Bati Ve'Einish, when God comes to a Beit Knesset and doesn't find ten people there immediately he is angry as it's written God God exclaims God says why have I come and there is nobody there I called and there is no answer so you have this picture that Yishayahu Navi, raises of God coming and there is nobody there he calls and nobody answers and so to speak he's frustrated ko'eshe means that he's, he gets, he's, he's frustrated he's angry that you broke his date God came he, he's meeting you at a certain place and you're not there so he's talking about Beit here but what it doesn't say is what time is this now, in our own minds we perhaps think that well uh, the every shul has a bulletin board outside and the bulletin board it says 8 o'clock shachas so God comes at 8 o'clock because he's a yakka he's prompt <laughs> the Jews didn't come, so God gets angry. But you know, Shuls in the time of Chazal didn't have bulletin boards. It doesn't say, "Call that a who comes to Beit Shaniq It says, "Whenever he comes to Beit it could be no one's there because it's not the time for davening." So why does he get angry? With who did he set up the time? So I, I think the answer is that this is not referring to Beit Knesset as a place where people daven at given times. It's referring to the Beit Knesset, which is the ultimate. I'm not saying you have to be there when you're not there. But it's a place of meeting. If we go to shul, we expect God to be there. When we go to shul, we just assume that you go, that God's waiting for you. Well, God does the same thing. He comes to shul, He thinks that you're waiting for Him. You say, well, how could it be? After all, there is nobody there. We're working. So the truth is, Chazal had an, had an idea, which is, is not normally fulfilled today. But Chazal had this idea that in every locality, every town, there are Asara Batlanim. Batlanim today in Yiddish or or Hebrew or American English, American Jewish English is a derogatory term. You're a Batlan. But in the Asara Batlanim were ten people in every city who the community supported that they not work but they sit in shul all day long. So in fact, Chazal really think that the shul should not be empty, and why? I think for this reason, because Keshmaku is going to come. There won't be ten people there. there Amisal is not there. It's a place of meeting and a place of meeting. When you come, he's there. When he comes, you're there. So the truth is, most shuls are empty most of the time today. We don't have the institution of a sanga and I hope the Kashbohu isn't angry when he comes and we're not there. I hope he comes the times which we have set on the bulletin board outside. But the idea is that the definition of a shul is a makom shel mifgash. Not a makom tefillah, but a makom mifgash, a place of meeting. And therefore when God comes and you're not there, He doesn't say, oh, I wanted hit tefillah and I don't hear. He says, no, madua karat I, I called and you didn't answer. Not that you called, you didn't call and I came to answer. God comes, He wants to meet with you. And the frustration of having a meeting with somebody, we all know what this is like, having a meeting with somebody who doesn't show up, that's the frustration that God feels when He comes to shul and the people are not there on time. So first of all, we learn that you should come on on time to shul. That if it does say on the bulletin board that Shachros is at 8 o'clock or Maghrib is at 7, so it should start at 8 o'clock and not at 7, because God is prompt. God about these things is a yaka. He shows up and He says, What's going on here? He starts drumming his fingers on the table. No one's here. Miyat koresh. God is angry. So the more important halacha that we learn is the necessity of viewing our relationship with God not as the ability to speak to Him because He has very good hearing and an open heart, but that we've been granted the ability to have regular meetings with God. On the one end to realize... That such meetings should not be taken for granted. You have to be koveya, You have to be miyached, You have to establish a place. And I think also a time for these things. Because God doesn't live in your house. Just as you don't live in His house. You're speaking to He who's found in the heavens. So He does come down to the world to speak with you. But you also have to elevate yourself from the world to meet with Him. And therefore we need this neutral, this in-between territory that's being set in my living room if I sometimes dive in there. And surely in a Beit I have to make the effort. On the other hand, the effort can really exist. He who makes this effort, then God is part of his life. God has met with him. And he now has this permanent relationship with God. The end of the Gemara. When he dies, Omrim, Ey anav, Ey hasid, Mitamidav, Shemuram Avinu. It seems like minor praise. What a modest person! What a pious person! But I think the point is, is that you don't say what a great person who's done amazing things. The being a companion to God is not a momentous effort on your part. It's a simple change in your personality. A anav, a chassid. He is a modest person. He didn't he needed something from God. He needed something to help. He didn't think of all kinds of crazy ways to do it. He just went and spoke to God. He knew that there's a place he could speak to God. And therefore, whatever he needed, he asked of God there. He he's a pious person. Everything he needed, he asked of God. He didn't find other ways to get it. He is a disciple of Ramavinu. Who was defined as hitalech lefanae tamim? God said to him, "Walk before me." It's kind of walk with me. It says walk before me. It's better than walk with me. But walk with me and before me—that's the definition of a He walked with God. Not that he built great things. He overturned the world. Walking with God, meaning that God is in the world, is in fact of evolution. But the definition of the person is walk with me. That's the definition of he who was kovei amakom litafilato. And now for today's Midrash Yomi. The last Midrash in the Midrash Rabbah concerning the story of Chetam HaRaglim goes like this. It's talking about the eventual fact that God uh, forgave and did not destroy the Jews because God had said that He wishes to destroy the Jews. God said to Moshe, I'm going to destroy the Jews from before me. So here's the answer that Moshe gives according to the Midrash. Amar lefanao ribon olamim ata ma'arich af. As to the universe, you have patience, you hold back your anger. Eved, im yiyu ma'asav tovim v'ye shomei ala rabo v'yei rabo m'stakela v'seva panim yafot e'in machzikim la rabo tova. If you have a servant, a slave, whose actions are good, And he obeys his master. And his master looks upon him with favor. We don't uh, consider that to be a great thing. We don't give a great credit. We don't give credit to the master. When does one give credit to the master? The servant is corrupt. Insubordinate. And nonetheless his master... Fuse him with favour, use him favorably. Kachata, so too you, God. Orpam, You should not look at the stiffness of the neck, as it said. This is what the Pasha in the uh, in says that Moshe said to God, Do not look on the hardness, the stiffness of this people. Moshe <speaking in Hebrew> Rabbeinu raises a very interesting argument here. Why God should I forgive the Jews? He says, you know, if the Jews would be good and you would be nice to them, there would be no kuns. We, we wouldn't be that impressed by that. But if the servant or the Jews are disobedient and nonetheless you treat them nicely, wow, that's very impressive. That's Moshe Rabbeinu's argument. It doesn't seem like that impressive an argument yeah because it's impressive it's impressive because it's not logical that one should reward insubordinate servants interestingly enough that's what God says to Moshe Rabbeinu you you think this would be an argument and then God would say "Okay, you're right as in other places where Moshe Rabbeinu advances arguments to God why he should be good to the Jews why he should not punish them here according to Midrash God says to him I will forgive them for you I think that implies not because the argument is that good but i forgive them for you. <laughs> I will forgive them according to your words. Could be interpreted to mean you've convinced me, but apparently Chazal understand it here as I will forgive them according to your words and only because you said it. Because you said this argument, therefore I will forgive them. And that's truly strange. In other words, God's saying they don't deserve to be forgiven. I'm doing it because I like you. So that could be, uh, I can understand that's what the Midrash is saying, but I think there's something else going on here. Really, what kind of an argument is it that if you reward good servants nobody is impressed by that we don't commend the master but if you behave nicely if you behave favorably you look favorably upon a servant who is insubordinate then then we we we, we consider it to be very commendable what kind of an argument is that? so I think we have to understand the argument not that Moshe Rabbeinu is saying to God do something that will be unusual there's a famous story about the Vilna Gon that the Vilna Gon said to the Magid he said to the Dubna Magid give me Musa Magid said oh, I can give Musa to the Vilna he said yeah 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 you have to give me Musa so the Magid thought of something he said you know uh, you think it's a Kunz to be all day long debate the Beit Midrash and still be a Gon uh, go out into the people and also try to help people and teach Torah to everybody and, 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 and help the community. And then you'll be a gaunt. That'll be a kunz. Kunz means a trick. So the end of the story is, it's very good Mosev, but the end of the story is the gaunt said to the Magid, Ich bin nishkin kunz I, I don't do kunzim. That's what I think have said to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu said, it's a kunz to be nice to a good servant. Let's see if you can be nice to a bad servant. have said, you're right, it's a much bigger kunz much bigger trick, much more impressive to be nice to a bad servant, but I don't do things because they're impressive. I don't do things because they're kuntsim. But I think the answer here is that what Moshe Rabbeinu was appealing to was the idea of Kiddush Hashem. He's saying, the world is not impressed when you are good to the good. It's much more impressive if we see that you have a midah called Ma'arich Af. We brought him atam Ma'arich Af. And that midah, that trait that God holds back his anger and treats his disobedient servants well, that arouses in people immense admiration. In other words, it's a kiddush Hashem. And that's what worked here, and I think that's what God says. Whether it's a kiddush Hashem or not depends on how people will react. So God says, of course God knows the answer, but God says, I I, I can't give the answer to that. It's not whether God is impressed by God's actions. But if you, Moshe Rabbeinu, say that to you it's more impressive this way, then because you said it, I'll do it. was no, not because Moshe Rabbeinu is special. If you, being a representative of human beings, say that this is machzik tova, this will cause people to to, to be b'kadei shem shanayim, to commend God and say, wow, God is ma'arich af, God is patient, even for the insubordinate, even for the difficult children and servants, if you say that's what's going to happen, then that's a good reason for me to forgive the Jews. That's all for today. By the way, I'd like to hear from you if, uh, in fact, the series I'm giving now of a Midrash yomit, instead of Halachay Yomit is successful. Not if you think you'd rather have Halachay Yomit more than Midrash Yomit. I'm sure there are many people who prefer to hearing a Halachay Yomit than a Midrash Yomit. I understand that. They don't have to tell me about that. But, without comparison simply whether or not this is a good idea in and of itself whether this is a successful series so I should know whether we should continue it I'd love to hear from you you can write to kmtt at kimitzion dot that's k-i-m-i-t-z-i-o-n dot o-r-g uh, and this will help us in uh, help me in knowing whether to continue this series and that's all for today you've been listening to the shiur on Misechet Brachot Halachah given by myself this is Ezra Bik. Wishing you kol tov Mevukat HaTorah Mi This has been KMTT The Torah Podcast Ki Mi Zion Torah Udvar HaShem Mi Yerushalayim